This is the East Trauma Cast. Trauma Cast. Trauma Cast. With your moderators, Levi Proctor from the University of Kentucky, Lexington. Dave Morris from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And Matt Martin from Madigan Army Medical Center. This program is brought to you by the online education section of the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. Advancing science. Fostering relationships. And building careers. Hello and welcome to another edition of the East Trauma Cast. This is your moderator, Dr. Matt Martin, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. Rich Falcone and Dr. Dennis Bensard. Dr. Bensard and Dr. Falcone will be talking to us about the Pediatric Trauma Transformation Collaborative, a fascinating new program to improve the care of pediatric trauma patients. Dr. Falcone, why don't you just explain about how this program came about? Yeah, so you know, when you look at the, where kids are cared for, only about 10% of injured kids are actually cared for at the level one independent children's hospital. 90% of kids are cared for in adult, adult facilities or combined facilities. You then look at the map of the United States and there's about 17 million kids are not within an hour's access to a pediatric trauma center. That's a huge part of our population. It's usually the, mid, the, midwest, the west and rural and underserved areas are where it hit. Then in 2006, the American College Surgeons Verification uh, Rules changed to say that you couldn't, you can no longer qualify as an adult center with added qualifications in pediatrics, which used to be the, the standard, and you had to qualify if you wanted to call yourself a pediatric trauma center, or you wanted to be reviewed as a pediatric trauma center, you had to be reviewed as either a level two or a level one, which in turn required a pediatric surgeon. There's a shortage of pediatric surgeons that are willing and interested in serving in these areas of need. There's also, unfortunately, a limit of pediatric surgeons who are interested in trauma. So even the sites that may have had a pediatric surgeon at their facility but not very interested in trauma, it's hard to really say that they're bringing their care of injured children up to the level that it needs to be. So after a site review at our first partner, which was St. Mary's Hospital in Evansville, Indiana, um, they had a site review. They used to be one of these added qualification sites. They had a site review in 2008, and Dr. Tuggle was their site reviewer, and he said, you're not going to qualify because you don't have a pediatric surgeon. Why don't you go talk to the folks at Cincinnati who are not far away? We've been established level one trauma center since 1993, have a long experience. Um, Dennis was in Indiana and working with us at that time, so we all kind of came together and said, well, let's think about a way to make this work. How can we keep kids in that community where, where these adult trauma surgeons are capable need a little help and kind of being up to date and, and guidelines, but they're very capable, good surgeons. And those kids in that area need that care. They're going to come to those centers or they're gonna to have to fly over, leaving their families behind. So we came together and initially started with a focus on partnering from a uh, peer review process and, and teleconferencing into all their peer review meetings, reviewing cases. We subsequently expanded what the partnership meant really to say, well, it also includes education. So we, we make available um, about 10, C, 10 hours of CME and CEU. We want this to be for nursing and not just the, the trauma surgeons, but for the whole multidisciplinary trauma team uh, participant. We also have them come and do trauma simulation training with us, which we teach them about role designation and, and really communication and safety, uh, but also give them the opportunity to practice on real cases, some cases that they've sent to us. So here's a case that we had and we create a simulation around it. So they're practicing not on what comes to the level one center, but real cases that they're getting. Um, and then we can provide information. They can identify 
opportunities are what we call latent safety threats that they can take back and say, oh, we noticed this would have been a problem if we take, took care of this patient at home. Let's change how we, how we do things. And they've made some real changes. We subsequently have partnered with two other um, hospitals after that, Parkview, which is in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and then our furthest partner, which is in Fargo, North Dakota. All three now have gone through successful ACS verification without a pediatric surgeon on site. Really the only three centers in the country that, we, that I know of um, that have been verified without that requirement. I'm technically on medical staff, but it's never been hidden or questioned that I don't practice at these hospitals other than providing phone consultation when needed. We provide guidelines. We provide um, the education. Like I said, we help them divide their own guidelines because as we were talking earlier, what can work in a pediatric level one center with all the resources and specialists may not be the same that's always going to work in an adult level two center. So some of our guidelines may work great for us, but we help them uh, tweak them to work best for them. One of the things we're, we're most proud of is that the partnership has actually been, in all the sites, have been labeled as one of their strengths after we've been there. Um, and probably even more impressive is, and, and something that I am most, even more proud about, is that even their adult programs have learned and improved their performance um, improvement process, kind of from what they've learned, improved their communication, because what they learn when they come for simulation, they take back and they do the same things with their adult patients. So it, it has some spillover. But the real goal here is trying to say there's not enough pediatric subspecialists out there, whether it's pediatric surgeons, pediatric neurosurgeons, pediatric orthopedic surgeons, but there's a lot of kids that are coming to those hospitals. So how can we, we're not going to make them level one centers, they're never, you know, they're not going to have the resources to do that, but how can we make them better? And what we've done is do that. They've all been verified. They transport fewer kids now. They went from about 4% transporting of kids out of their out of their hospital to now around 2%, um, and their volume overall pediatric patients have gone up probably because they're verified. Um, centers now, so those kids are stopping there and staying there rather than passing those hospitals um, altogether. Um, in Fargo, that's the first and only pediatric trauma center in the whole state of North Dakota. Um, so we're getting these kids better care where they live. So our, our goal is that, you know, I showed a map during my talk of the United States that uh, was put together by the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia a few years back. As a note to listeners, Dr. Falcone is referring to a slide from the presentation that he gave at the Western Trauma Association 2015 meeting right before this interview. His entire presentation, including the slide with a map of pediatric trauma coverage in the United States, is available for you to download from the East TraumaCast website. Just look for a supplemental materials link on the page for this podcast. And now back to Dr. Falcone. So kind of areas that are covered by pediatric trauma centers. And then you have these huge parts of the country that are, are white or uncovered by pediatric trauma centers. So our goal is to kind of reach out to those level two adult centers that have an interest and are taking care of kids anyway, um, or even the level one adult centers that are taking care of kids because they're the only place in town or in the region to do that. Can we partner and help through this kind of collaborative partnership, help them up the level of their pediatric care to meet much closer to the benchmarks of a level one trauma center? So, so how have you guys gotten around the letter of the law still from the ACS is you need to have a pediatric surgeon on site. Um, have they been resistant to that? Or, and also, has there been any discussion with them about changing that to or a cooperative program? Yeah, so I think that there are. I mean, it, it is the letter of the law, and, and as we all know, there's, you know, you got to go down this list. The, the advantages is that the reviewers who have come to these sites, um, two of them now twice have been evaluated, um, have been, one, focused on what's important, I think, and what the college is, is focused on, which is 
What's their quality of care that they're providing? What is their PI process? Are they really looking at things carefully and changing changing things? Do they have all the, the resources they need? So they're paying a lot of attention to that. And then from the letter of the law, I am technically on the medical staff, and that's what the requirement is. Um, I, I think there's it's obviously a gray zone still. I think there is opportunities, and Dr. Kozar from the verific- chair of the verification committee kind of came up and, and we started a discussion about, you know, how do we change maybe what's in the book um, to say this is an option. Um, and I think it would have to be very carefully looked at. And it's not just a we're a partner. It has to really be a collaborative um, partnership that's really working. And commit it. it takes as much commitment on the adult trauma center to do this as it does on our level one center to help them. Um, we, we've, I've kind of vetted some places that have expressed interest, but not. it was clear early on that they weren't really committed to the process, and that wasn't, mm-hmm. that's not the kind of partners we're looking for. I don't think that's the kind of partner the college is going to approve. Um, it has sure. to be both sides committed to this. Um, so I, th- I think there is a lot of opportunity to kind of change and say, yes, maybe it, maybe it ends up being called a different level of designation. I don't know. Um, but there's something to be said about the programs that are willing to commit to this kind of partnership to improve their care of children, and I think that should and, I, and hopefully will be recognized you know, more formally by the ACS as a way to do So, so I, as I'm sure both of you know, pediatric care requires a bunch of system things, not just who the surgeon is and whether they're a pediatric surgeon or an adult surgeon. So what would your response be to a reviewer who raised the concern that, well, this hospital doesn't have a pediatric surgeon on staff, meaning they're not doing pediatric surgery, uh, they don't have all the other ancillary services maybe or, or experience, with taking care of pediatric surgical patients, so how can they take care of pediatric trauma patients? No, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair question. And part of our program, though, um, is designed to expand beyond just improving the care by the, the surgeons. Um, we include nurses that come to our for our simulations, but they also come for shadowing to learn how our nurses take care of pediatric patients in our ICU. Um, we also have an expanded program that allows anesthesiologists adult anesthesiologists to come and spend a week with our pediatric anesthesiologists to kind of up their up their experience and refresh. Um, same with orthopedics. Um, we have a, a program that they can come for a week, spend time with our, adult, our pediatric orthopedists and learn some stuff. Um, we have a group coming this summer that's going to bring some of their OR techs that do their casting to kind of get up to mm-hmm. speed on that. Um, I think that is a challenge. I think, you know, it does require more than just the surgeon, you know, even at our center, we're, we're a very small part of the care of those kids. Um, so bringing nurse practitioners, bringing all that level of experience up. Um, one key that I think is necessary at all the partners, and they all do have, is a pediatric intensivist. Um, I think that's hard to replace completely, um, and that experience has added to their ability to care for some of these sick sick kids. So. Sure. And Dennis, you had a comment? Well, I, I mean, I think uh, having been involved in the uh, pilot and establishing the program. I think several observations because I think, again, what we're not saying, and I think that the college would, the reviewers will not approve, is that you're right, you have to have these additional resources. But if you look at the demographics of injured children, uh, 85%, and and this is data that's largely derived from adult, uh, the level one pediatric trauma centers or large databases, 85% of children will have an ISS of uh, 10 or less. So the the vast majority of injured children are not going to be in need of these high-level resources. And if you mandate that they can't, if they've been triaged to a trauma center and there's no pediatric surgeon, well, they're not 
these high-level resource patients. And then in the intermediate group, uh, 10 to 15, that represents about 15%. And really, only about 5% of kids are um, have injury severity that is severe. As such, and I think this is the important point, is that there will be some centers that can care for that moderately injured group, but there's no question that there has to be a partnership with a key resource for that severely injured group that exceeds resources. But that's an inclusive trauma system, and we all know that that works best. And the final thing is that in the, uh, uh, many of the leaders in trauma and pediatric trauma met, and uh, a, a report was generated from that called the Children's Report. And in that report, really conceptualized uh, many of the things that Rich has already done, and that was that this concept of a virtual pediatric surgeon, pediatric surgical trauma director. So if we look geographically and we say, gee, 90% of kids are not going to be cared for at a trauma center, a pediatric trauma center, and 85% of those patients are not going to have high-grade injury and to be taken to a center out of their community unnecessarily is really where I think we can have the opportunity to have the greatest impact and turn that map with a lot of white to a lot of red. You know, time will tell whether the, the, the naming and the, the level of trauma center, you know, needs to be better defined for these centers that are partner centers as opposed to have all those on-site resources. Um, but I think even if that's the case, it's still providing better care for those kids in those regions. Sure. So is this a unique program, or are there any other examples where hospitals, pediatric centers have, have done this and helped a, a center get verified? No, I think, I mean, right now it's a unique pro program in the sense of all the components. I think there are definitely level one centers that have done outreach and, and you know, helped with parts or shared. I mean, I think most of us, almost all of us are comfortable sharing guidelines and, and that sort of piece. Um, but really kind of this comprehensive partnership designed to help get folks up to the level of ACS verification, I think we're unique in. The other exciting part is, you know, each of the hospitals that we've partnered with are now expanding their community outreach to, to kind of help inform even smaller hospitals in their region about pediatric trauma. So there, you know, it becomes this, you're spoke, you're, you know, you're this, the node and then this outreach and each of these sites are now their own little nodes reaching out and improving trauma care for kids in their area as well. So, so is there a geographic requirement, really, in terms of proximity that you have to have to make this work? Or if my level two trauma center in Tacoma, you know, needed this and wanted to partner uh, with your program, would that even be possible because of all of the cross-training it sounds like is involved? Well, I think that the distance, so the distance itself, is, I don't think is a, a limitation. I think Fargo, North Dakota is the furthest current partner we have. And they do, you know, the, the on-site training is just for simulation. And they come, they come a couple times a year. They actually, we've designed it so that they come for a few days as opposed to a one-day simulation. And they come and they shadow, they spend days shadowing the surgeon shadows uh, with us, the nurse's shadow in the ED or the nurse practitioner, they bring shadows with us. Even respiratory therapists have come and shadow. Um, so they get a, a full breadth of experience, so it makes it a little more worth that trip. All the other pieces are online or video teleconferencing. The only piece that would, you know, be necessary, and, and for example, Fargo has this with Minneapolis, is, well, where is that level one center that you're going to transfer to? So I don't expect patients from Fargo to be transferred 
all the way to Cincinnati if they need level one care, unless it was something super specialized that we have that other sites don't. Um, but for that general care, so you would have to still have identified, well, where's the level one center that I will send them to um, if I need it to transfer? And, and Dennis, what, what's been your involvement with this program? Uh, when I was in Indiana, I, um, Dr. Tuggle had come to Evansville, and I was a faculty member at uh, Cincinnati. And uh, really, we, we really thought this concept of, of a virtual uh, pediatric surgeon, um, because my observation, I was fortunate enough uh, in my general surgery training to train in Denver and, um, and Denver General at the time, and saw very capable adult surgeons. Uh, so we continued, and I, in a way, have taken those lessons uh, from what Rich has done now, expanding the program, and uh, implemented them now so that we were the only became the second designated uh, uh, pediatric trauma center in the state of Colorado. And again, I'm only one pediatric surgeon, and but I have very capable adult colleagues. We have all the other resources in place. Um, and then we benchmark with uh, the level one center. And what we see is, you know, I'm not doing the bulk of operations and um, I round on the patients, but I've implemented the protocols. And our benchmarking is, is strikingly the same, the uh, level one children's center. And I think the message, which I hope the thought leaders in the uh, COT and, and others will embrace this idea because there was a study done several years ago looking at outcomes in Arizona. I mean, outcomes nationally about the degree of trauma designation. And so it looked at, were you simply an adult trauma center? Were you an adult trauma center with pediatric trauma designation? Were you a level one, level two pediatric trauma center? And again, much like what I alluded to earlier, there was a slight difference as you went up, but what was happening is in these large pediatric trauma centers where they're getting thousands of patients, so if you did a subset analysis, you saw that these centers were doing the same, but they lacked that denominator effect to then bring down their mortality rates so that it made it appear. And so the actual authors of the paper, I had the good fortune of being the editorial reviewer for that paper, actually conceded that point and what they emphasized that the greatest impact of a level one pediatric trauma center is likely through education and advocacy and prevention. And I like to think that he and I are embracing the idea of advocacy and education because I, I really believe in, after all, I learned trauma care not from pediatric surgeons but from good adult surgeons and then I'd like to think that it came full circle, that we, we were able to continue to collaborate with our adult colleagues and they're learning from us. So does this program have a formal name as of now? Yeah, so it's called the Pediatric Trauma Transformation Collaborative. And the name was chosen specifically to include the word collaborative because <clears throat> that's really what we want. I, I mean, I want it to be two ways. And, and, and like Dennis said, my training too, I, you know, where did I learn trauma care was from... It was, it was much more from the adult trauma surgeon than from the pediatric surgeon um, that I worked with. Um, and so, but there's, so the, and there's still that learning back and forth. Kind of the next, another phase that we're taking this partnership is to 
really kind of benchmarking with the three sites that we have and, and working collaboratively to say, well, let's, ha let's figure out how do we improve um, you know, our, our rate of CT of C-spines or how do we reduce our chest CT you know, rate in kids and how do we do it across all centers. And then most likely that's going to impact our center as well because it's going to force us to look more closely at what our rates are you know, if we're going to you know, try to in, instruct level two centers on how to do better, well, we better be doing as well, if not even better. Um, so I think there's going to be a, a ton of learning from that. And I think there's programs that can join the, the collaborative just for that aspect um, as well, I think, as we go forward. So I, I, the name is, is designed to really emphasize that this isn't just a, you know, we're, we're the, you know, ivory tower of pediatric trauma telling you what to do. It's, it's we're going to learn together and you're going to help me understand what unique needs you have at a level two center with adult providers that I don't experience. And how do we fix, you know, how do we improve what you're doing in that environment? Sure, but, but I'm at a level one pediatric trauma center and I want to start doing something like this. Uh, is there any plan to make something like I can order the PTTC guidebook and, and it'll tell me here's how we did it and here's the programs you yeah, should I mean, have I in think place? Yeah, I think moving forward, that that's going to be the goal. Uh, right now, I don't, we don't have anything that formalized and packaged and part of that is because I think we're still we're still in the let's kind of iterative process of hey let's this part was great and this part needs more emphasis or this part we don't need not every center needs and that's a little bit of our program too it's customizable that you know if you don't need as much help you know if you don't need to come for as much simulation training you don't have to come for that piece of it but if you need more you know some places need more of that or some places have come specifically to learn more about child abuse workups and evaluations and then have spent more time with us following our child abuse team around and learning how they do things. So it's very customizable in that sense as well. But yeah, I mean, I think the ideal would be in a few more years, we have here, just what you're describing, here's the kind of booklet or guidebook on how to do this. And these are the key steps and, and it be a train the trainer type setup. Um, but um, I think that's, it's absolutely doable. And I think we're just still trying to make sure we have all the components as best we can, it'll still change. Just like you know, the the resources book changes every few years, and, you know, and updates. And I would anticipate something like this would change every few years um, as well. Sure, I would think this would be something the American College of Surgeons and the COT would be really interested in in codifying and making it into a very exportable program. Um, it, it's a great program. Congratulations Thanks. on all you guys have accomplished with it. Uh, to to close up, the other I'm sure big question of anyone listening. Uh, from the I'm at a level one pediatric center standpoint who might want to do this is this sounds like an incredible time commitment uh, and a lot of extra work um, and and clearly at least I don't believe generating any RVUs and you know an additional income so so how do you find the time to do this I and mean, you're already a busy trauma surgeon at a level one pediatric center yeah, so uh, and and th this must take up a good portion of your time and then the more centers you add on um, it, it's got to impact other aspects of your practice. Right. So a couple things. One, in our disclosure, it, we definitely we get funding from the other hospitals to help support some of the time, which then allows me, um, in particular, some time that I'm not worried about generating RVUs to, to put towards this. The other part is, and that goes for our staff as well, because as I said, it's, it's not just me. And in fact, probably our, the rest of my staff puts as much, if not more, time into this partnership than, than I do at times. Um, I, I think there's also been some learning. We've had the experience of doing it now for several years, and, and it was it was much more time consuming up front, kind of learning how to do this. 
become it's a little bit of economy of scales as we the the CME programs that we put on are available to all the centers. So we do it do it once, so more centers don't impact that. Some centers, St. Mary's has been our first partner. They've matured to a level that they need less kind of constant help. Um, newer centers need more time, so there is a balance in that time commitment. Um, but I think it, you know, importantly from my institution, Cincinnati Children's. I mean, importantly, it's come from support above that, that there's there's a vision and support that this is important. This is part of our our mission uh, as an institution and as a trauma program to, to be these as Ben says, be these advocates for for improving trauma care. Um, so that's that's expected. I think that's really an important point because, as you know, in the question session, and it was raised that there was a fee associated. And so now I can be the impartial, uh, objective person to say, but just as you point out, these, these efforts to meet the quality expected by the Committee on Trauma do require an investment by the institution that's offering these services. And much like anything, there is going to be a fixed cost. But I can categorically say that they're not making profit on this. And I think that any level one center, then I think by having a relationship, because again, if you try to duplicate these services in your own facility many times, this is really a very inexpensive approach for these facilities. And it's one in which then at a level one, at the point that Rich gets too busy or his program manager will allow them to add additional resources as the programs expand. But I think, it's, as I said earlier, you would hope that many of the other level one pediatric trauma centers would embrace this concept, look to Cincinnati to learn, uh, co uh, perhaps, and I think every time in these processes, people learn from one another to develop ultimately to what the children's, group, children's report really wanted to see happen was nationally this kind of virtual pediatric trauma availability to institutions without the commitment and cost of all the other resources. But I nowhere do I think that people expect that to be done for free. We've, we've made that mistake for a long time. You know that very well. And then I would think there would be some interest in from the state or from the insurance companies uh, because you know you're you're saving North Dakota some money if they're not having to transport these kids. You're, you're saving insurance companies if they're not having to pay, oh, you know, for a light flight. So maybe there's even a potential for you know funding through those avenues. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we have, we've done very little so far with looking at cost savings and or cost benefits to the hospitals that we're partnering with or to the insurance companies. Um, but I, because that's not been our primary motive in, in doing this. But I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I think if folks stay where they stay where they live and you don't have these we all know you know flights to some place and then the patient gets discharged the next day and, and some of those get admitted because you feel bad because they've flown all this way and, and you're going to keep them overnight we're eliminating you know a fraction of that cost yes insurers and, and folks should be you know interested and supportive of this so i think there are a lot of ways it does require funding to, as we've been talking um, to support time and, and effort but there's a lot of potential ways to, to maintain that funding or get that that funding, and as Dennis, you know, appropriately said, it's not a profit the margin funding. It's a it's a working, you know, keep us keep us afloat um, funding uh, piece for that. So, what what is the advantage of keeping kids in their local community um, versus sending them to a level one trauma center that might be two hours away? Yeah, I think you know a, a big one is for the family. Uh, you know, there's often, as we know, motor vehicle collisions. There may be an injured 
parent or other family member at the same time. Now, if you have two family members, different hospitals, and a child, families are going to want to stay with their child. The child, you know, it's beneficial to the child to have their family um, with them. So that becomes hard. People have to take off work. People have to, you know, these kids, especially the severely injured ones, can be in hospital for an extended period of time. If you're far away from home and, and having to leave work or leave other kids, it creates a huge stress. Um, you know, that goes well beyond the care of that child. But I think the point is, is that if we can get kids to centers where there is demonstrated pediatric interest to meet the threshold of successful verification by the COT, that 90% or more will stay in their community and receive the same care that they would be receiving. I mean, I think that's what Rich is being humble about, is that their benchmark, once they put their branding, is that you are going to provide the same care that we provide at a level one pediatric trauma center. Okay, so when doing one of these programs, you're assisting an adult trauma center take care of pediatric patients. Um, and, it, and it's a whole process, but there's probably a list of the top three to five key points that you would want to impart to these adult trauma surgeons uh, in ways that they need to adjust their practice that are a little bit different between adults and pediatric patients. So uh, I'll just ask the both of you if you have one or a couple of those top points that you would want to impart to adult trauma surgeons taking care of kids. Sure. I, you know, and, and some of these come from experience before this program, but some of these come from the issues that have come up on the performance improvement discussion. And probably the top three things are imaging, as you've mentioned. Um, uh, adult centers are, you know, and there's, there's good reason, you know, are imaging more. Um, but, you know, in a pediatric center, we rarely image... A C CT, a C-spine. We rarely, if ever, uh, CT a chest. These are things that are common in adult centers. So, so I think that's that's probably a, a big one that comes up a lot. Um, another is la how many lab tests and, and repeat imaging or, or follow-up studies are being done. And the, the third one that really sticks out to me is keeping non-accidental trauma, you know, at the forefront of your your brain and, and not overlooking that. Kids that come in with what sound like reasonable, potentially reasonable injuries, but are still potential victims. Um, so keeping adult surgeons aware of that. Those are great points. How about you, Dennis? Well, I, I, I couldn't agree more as uh, Rich would, as I was thinking what I would say, I would say imaging, 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 both uh, liberal use of imaging, and there are plenty of available uh, decision trees that have been validated, particularly through PCARN, and I would I would encourage adult trauma surgeons to look at PCARN because it eliminates largely uh, brain imaging for minor head injury, use of uh, um, clinical clearance of the C-spine, and then a more recent one was that just based on history and physical examination, you can identify the majority of patients who are at risk of uh, needing uh, an intra-abdominal intervention if you measure that as your uh, endpoint. When I use that data to speak, uh, I emphasize that um, even if you err on the side of wanting your threshold is, I want to get everybody at 1% or less, um, you would largely eliminate imaging just by using that decision instrument. Uh, you would eliminate unnecessary imaging in over 80, 90% of the patients. I think the second thing is, as Rich said, um, the overuse of uh, laboratory testing. And then the third thing I would say is the, the shortening of hospital stay. The return 
the school and activity and look to guidelines which demonstrate because these kids can be safely discharged. And then I think, as Rich pointed out, is really this awareness because the Orange Book is really going to mandate that if you're going to seek pediatric trauma designation that you have an organized approach to identify abusive uh, or non-accidental trauma. It's really striking to me that under the age of one, uh, intentional injury, death from intentional injury, is greater than unintentional injury. And uh, to close out this trauma cast, so how can someone get more information about this collaborative program if uh, they're interested in how you do it or even getting involved? Yeah, so the, the easiest way without going through the formal website is just if you Google Pediatric Trauma Transformation Collaborative, that'll, the top thing will come up as our, as our website. has a lot more information about it. also has a contact us piece on there. Okay, great. Well, I really want to thank Dr. Ben Sard and Dr. Falcone for uh, telling us about this program. Uh, I hope to see it expanded. I think it's a, a great initiative. And uh, I'll also close out by giving a shout out to the East Online Education Center. We've got some great CME online programs, including a bunch on pediatric trauma uh, and a new edition this year by Dr. Falcone on simulation and trauma training. Uh, so please check those out. Thank you both. Thank you. And that wraps up another edition of TraumaCast, brought to you by the online education section of the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. You can check out all of the great educational and career development resources available on the East website at www.east.org. And make sure you subscribe to the TraumaCast series so you don't miss any of our exciting upcoming programs and interviews. So if you're searching for cutting-edge science and research, professional education, networking and building relationships, and career development, Remember that all you need to do is look to the east.